Self-worth is the unlock. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Those are the most beneficial feelings that you can ever receive when you can help someone else knowing that they're at their lowest low and you can help bring them out of it because they reached out to you because there's something about who you are and the connection you've had from the past. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage podcast. A self-care savage is a term that I've coined that combines elements of self-care and a more assertive and bold approach to taking care of oneself and growing their self-worth. On the Self-Care Savage podcast, we will explore how self-care and self-worth are always in the driver's seat in all parts of our lives and how we act and react to life. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and take a quick second to give the podcast a rating and a review. That's how we grow and reach more people to spread the message. Okay, on today's podcast, we have J.P. Corvell. He's someone I hiked with in 2022 on the Appalachian Trail, and we've stayed in contact since, and I, and I really admire uh, the kind of person J.P. is, and I wanted to have him on here. And J.P. served 22 years as a Marine, retired as a sergeant major, worked in the Middle East as a contractor, traveled more than 51 countries, and recently lived a nomadic traveling lifestyle for almost three years in numerous locations, including a full-time through-hike on the Appalachian Trail, which again, we're going to talk a lot about that today too. So here we go. So I'm so excited to have JP here. Pronouncing your last name, again, I never jump out there until I hear you tell it to me first. So pronounce your last name for me. Corville. Corville. So JP Corville, I'm really excited about him being on here because we've talked a little bit last week. JP, I met on the Appalachian Trail, Appalachian Trail, however you want to say it. JP is a retired Sergeant Major from the Marines. If anybody wants to look him up, we're going to have all of uh, his links in the descriptions below, and you'll see a lot of great stuff about him and uh, bronze medal winner, the reasons for that, and just his career. Uh, he was a career guy, and he's, I think he's carried that into back into his civilian life. So again, JP, thanks so much for being here. I know you're in, where in Georgia are you now? Alpharetta, Georgia, just north of the city of Atlanta. And you haven't been there very long now. No, have you? four months. Yeah, four months. Yeah. A whole different life for me. And I think you're only a, a drive now from the actual Appalachian, Appalachian Trail. Yeah, an hour and a half maybe to get to Amicalola Falls and the uh, approach. Yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, did, I did Blood Mountain again about two weeks ago, a week ago. I went up to Blood Mountain and some of that again. Yeah, I saw that. And, and, you know, that's, I think that's a little bit of, I've been seeing a lot of activity coming up again. It's the first of the year with a lot of the through hikers and hikers going back out. But I, re- I really kind of want to focus on you a little bit. And I want to set this up on, on us on the Appal- Appalachian Trail and how we met exactly. Uh, you can chime in or you can uh, uh, add to it as I talk about it. But the Appalachian Trail is a big place. It's a long trail and, you know, you do meet different people in different circumstances. How I remember meeting you, actually, there was a, a space on this part of the trail. I don't remember exactly where it was now, but I think there was uh, the water sources were a little bit scarce. It's not like on the Appalachian Trail, you're going to uh, you're going to have to really do some stupid personal things to uh to die of dehydration. Yes. You're going to be able to find water, but sometimes it's challenging. And then sometimes it, you know, it, it, it's really hot or humid. You know, you can certainly dehydrate to a point where, you know, you can get sick or, you know, all those things can happen. But 
there's usually places to get it. But this particular place that I met you was, but it was one of the longest downhill, steepest descents you had to get to, to the water source. Yes. Am I right? You're right. But that was the second time we met. Okay. Hang on. So, because I want you to refresh me that. Yep. But so what I remember was us meeting there, but because I remember you being in the water source and you were already getting, getting after getting your water and doing your deal. And I'm, we just, you know, hey, and, and I think you asked me, you know, are you on social media? Yes. I can't remember the exact words. And I think you said, you know, somebody sent you my stuff or something. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and that, you know, and so that we kind of met that way and uh, just conversed for a minute and didn't get much information about you at that point. Um, other than we just kind of met. And I got my water and I headed back up. Well, Scott, if I can real quick, you, you remember there was a 14 mile stretch if you didn't get water at that particular point before there was another water source. So we both had to stop and get water there. And like you said, it was downhill, half a mile and then half a mile back up. I remember it was a 45 minute turnaround just to get your water. I was not happy about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, when I look back on it now, JP, it's kind of funny is the Appalachian Trail, any kind of trail you do uh, on, a, on a lake that I don't even remember how far we, where were we? Do you remember how far down the trail that was? I don't remember the mileage. I, it had to be in Virginia because of how long Virginia is. I, I don't think it was past Virginia, but I don't know specifically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Anyways, and then I, I, the second time I think we met, or tell me the first time. You, you said there was a time before that. Yeah, it was. A, I think it was two days before the story you just told where we had been rained on. And right before sunset, I had my tent set up. I had my rope set up. All my clothes were hanging up to dry. And I was literally standing in like skivvies. And you were walking on the trail f trying to find your own dry spot to camp. And I saw you kind of from a distance and we just said hello and exchange a few pleasantries and, hey, have a good night. See you later. I didn't recognize you like I did in the next few days whenever we were getting water. And I kind of was like, hey, aren't you the guy that's on social media, does motivational quotes? And that's when I really saw you up close. But that was the first time we met. So I had that reversed. I had I actually have that down here that that the second night or not the second night, but the second yeah, time yeah. we met, not the first. So, OK, that was the first uh, time. that shows you. Yeah, and I remember that. And I, I that's a great story too in itself is this is what's funny too, because when I was looking for a place to camp, and I think this is part of what you were talking about, that was a stretch where there was just not I never stayed in the shelters very much yeah. and I preferred to stay out of them and or camp around them because they were usually there was times they just get too too crowded or or anyways, wanted to stay a little bit quieter. And I were moving down the, I remember moving down the trail and I was like, you know, it was, it was starting to get maybe a little toward it was getting dusk where I needed to go, you know, I need to find a spot. And it had rained. And uh, so I, everything was just a mess. So that was also created a challenge to get any somewhere off trail, you know, a stealth spot or anything. Cause you, you know, either you were going to be sleeping in puddles or mud or whatever. And so none of that's really pleasant, especially when you're already in that you're trying to get in a dry place. So I do remember walking down trail. I can remember it right now and it was getting dusk. Yes, I saw this tent over to the side and I was like, okay, I'm gonna walk over here and see what's going on. I saw some movement and I thought, well, maybe there's some other spots around there. And you know, um, I never intrude on people. So I kind of came up and <laughs> I just remember that I saw your clothesline <laughs> with all your stuff. And then I remember you coming out and I was like, holy smokes, you know, it's like, there comes this dude and you're in your skivvies. And, and, uh, and I just thought it was funny. Um, hikers in their skivvies, first of all, it's not very uncommon, right? For through hikers, you see it quite often. Well, not, well, not when they look like Conan, uh, the barbarian as well. <laughs> yeah, I got that's a compliment. <laughs> I got accused of not being a through hiker many times because I didn't lose enough weight for their eyes, but I lost quite a weight. But you know, Back to that area, I remember that night where I first met you, there was one little rock ledge. And if anyone doesn't know much about the Appalachian Trail, they call it the Green Tunnel for a reason. There's only a few breakouts once in a while where you have a good view. This particular night, there was a rock ledge with an opening in the trees. And the only sunlight for the last 45 minutes before sunset was coming through there. So I laid my clothes out and sat there myself so I could dry because right. we know 
I had nothing dry. The only thing that I could lay on was my air mattress, which was still wet. Nothing I had was dry. So that's the only opportunity I had before I went to sleep. Yeah, I think I, w- I was fortunate because I think uh, I ended up having the uh, pack I used was uh, made of the Dyneema or whatever it is, uh, the parachute. I remember. They're made out of the sails on, on sailboats. Yeah, that was, I, re- I remember that. And then, um, and I remember uh, setting up camp and camping down there and you, I was packing up and, and loading up when you were, you were coming by that morning. Yes. And, uh, and then, okay, so whenever that was, a couple of days later, whatever, is when I, we ran into each other down at the water spot. And then after that, and I'm pretty uh, skilled at movement and, and people's mannerisms and things like that, even if I met them a short period of time. But I, I just, I saw that. I said, that's, that's Ibex. But anyways, and I, I think I, didn't I scream at you? I think yeah, I yeah. yelled at we, you. We something. chatted it, you know, from the distance as we were going up the switchback. I remember it too. I think that was in Jersey. It might have been right before the halfway point, maybe somewhere around that 1200 mark. I don't know. I got off at 1432.6 miles, but we did see each other before that one more time. But that was the first time I think we actually sat down and talked. But I remember us talking. That's the first time we kind of got, I think, got to know each other. I understood a little bit more about you uh, again um, and understood, you know, uh, you're a little bit about your role in the military and, and um, you know, where you were at in Iraq and some things like that. But it's always nice to, that somebody's trust you enough, you know, to open up a little bit. Yes. There's, it's very rare. You meet people. There's a little bit of respect, I think, and a little bit of, of, of that trust. And I felt that with you and, and I, which I thought, cause I just, you know, you just ma- handled yourself in a very unintrusive way. And not really, not that you didn't care what what I had to say or things like that, but it, you weren't seeking any validation from me. You weren't doing that. A lot of people you meet on trail do that. And, you know, and my point is, I think that's where, that's just somebody that operates out of, out of you know, here's who I am, you know, not look at me. And that's why people probably follow you. I appreciate that. Well, Scott, you said so many wonderful things and I appreciate your compliments. And, you know, I remember that night that we camped together and had that conversation where we really got to know each other. That was in Pennsylvania. And even though you and I are both very optimistic, I remember we were somewhat pessimistic at the beginning of the conversation because we were complaining about the rocks in Pennsylvania. Yes. It had been so long where you haven't had the ability to look up and enjoy the environment because you have to look at those stupid, painful little rocks that are constantly biting you. But once we got past that, we had a great conversation about so many different topics and I really appreciated your authenticity and what you shared with me. And back to what you mentioned with uh, my Marine Corps military past, you know, you see behind me some memorabilia that's hanging up. Um, It was in storage for 11 years after I retired from the Marine Corps, I put it away. And now I have my own private office in my house where I do a lot of work at home. And it's nice to have it all up and be very nostalgic, but I've always been for most of my adult life, more impressed with people that I start to find interest in and then ask them about their past. And then they disclose it as opposed to somebody that stands in front of me for the first time and says, let me tell you about me. It turns me off. I think most people in general are like that, but I know that I gravitate to those that I find interesting first. Then I want to find out what they've done and what they've accomplished because there's some aura about them. You know, I know there's something interested about them and I always try to maybe put myself in that same platform where I didn't share my career, who I was in the Marine Corps, what I had done, the travels I'd you know been able to do over the last decade, unless somebody wanted to know and asked me and they were just curious, like yourself, then I would share it. But I met a few people on trail, some veterans, some not, that I would sit at a campsite. I would talk to them on the trail, getting water, maybe having a bite to eat. And there were a few people that told me things that I knew they were full of it. Yeah. And one guy in particular, and I don't want to go down this path too negative, but he started talking about his experience as a vet. And as he's talking to me and another person, I thought to myself, you know, if you are a veteran, and I think most veterans will attest to this, you can pinpoint anyone that served when you're talking to them. There's something that you catch. He had no inclination that I had been in the military. But he kept talking about all these things and I knew he was full of it. 
And I just picked up my bag and got on the trail and left. And, uh, you know, back to working out on the trail, you know, not a lot of people saw me doing it because I camped alone for the most part. And I was doing workouts with my upper body every third day is what I averaged on trail. And then when I got off trail for a zero day or two days off, maybe I would go to the weight room. I would have bands, do push-ups, use the log, rocks, all these different functional movements, some Pilates stretches. And this comes from, you talked about mindset. It's the mindset that I developed when I was in the military, when I would travel and live on a ship in a Navy vessel. And the only space I could sleep in was literally where I laid down. And then maybe a foot next to that was an open space where I could do crunches. I could do push-ups. I could stretch. When I was in Iraq, when I was in Kuwait, Korea, I'd have these small little spaces, no weights. You'd be outside in the elements and you'd build these little functional movements and use rocks and logs. And that's the goal I had because I didn't want to really shrink down, even though I lost like 40 something pounds on the trip. Oh, you did? I didn't realize you lost that much. I did. I, I lost 20 pounds on my own before I started the trail to get to my fighting weight where I felt comfortable. And then I lost another 30 uh, or 25 or something like that on the trail. For me, the mindset was, is that with my hiking background and what I've done in the past, I knew that in the White Mountains and then getting into Maine at like Mahusik Notch, you're going to have to do a lot of upper body scrambling up boulders and pulling your pack up between these rock crevices and maybe assisting another hiker, throwing a rope down, pulling your pack up. So I know I needed my upper body to still be maintained and have the endurance and the strength. And that was my goal the entire time. So I could do that. You probably noticed it too. I watched so many hikers that turned into machines hiking. But to watch them pick up a heavy pack to put on their back, they had to have two, three people help them out because their upper body was so frail and so weak. All they did was hike. And I refused, <laughs> I refused to be that. To me, the synergy of the upper body, the core, and the lower extremities had to be in unison with my mind. And that's how I felt that I'd be successful. But then again, I fell and got hurt on August 7th, and that kind of screwed up my training regimen a little bit. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash SelfCareSavage. Did you have an Anytime Fitness membership? I do. I do actually now, but I didn't have it on the trail. There was no Anytime you Fitness didn't. I found. No. Okay. I find it on the trail. And I had I had an Anytime Fitness, but it was to take ah. a shower if I needed it. But <laughs> I didn't use it. I get that. And so just to, to reiterate that too, because these are other learnings. You know, when I came off trail, I had lost 20 pounds, 20-ish pounds. I was 193 when I started, 173 when I came off. And I'm, I'm not a thick boned guy. You know, I'm a, I've got a nice, some nice thickness uh, that around my belly for over 62 years. But so one of the things that I, as I was going through, especially this last week and realizing the things that I was understanding more about you and then watching you, you are always smiling. I've been accused of that many times. Thank you, Scott. When I when I went back and looked at, you know, certainly you look at your official military pictures, you know, your whatever you were taking, you know, you got that look on your face. And you know what? That's the look that makes me feel safe. You know, I'm, you know, absolutely. You're not, I, I don't feel a chip on your shoulder. Uh, you know, I think it's infectious. Uh, it's welcoming. 
Um, again, I've you know go look go look at JP's military uh, pictures, and, and you can you, you know you know if you see that face, it's time to move on. They don't do that the anymore. Is, right? <laughs> they don't encourage they don't encourage that in the military anymore. They encourage smiling in all your photos to be approachable, which is good. Were you born with this? In a, in, in a sense, you understand what time? Were you already there? I know. You gave me some history about you working out and first starting to work out and what inspired you to do that. There's that Sylvester Stallone picture you've got on social media. What builds somebody like that? You've got to have that in you a little bit. Am I right or wrong? I think you're right, 100%. Because, you know, you meet people throughout your life that develop you at the early stages. They influence you negatively or positively. But there are some traits you're born with. So it's kind of a hybrid combination. For me, Scott, my family... I grew up in a very positive environment and my family was together. My mother was very jovial. Um, she had a loud personality and she loved humor and comedy. So I bonded and related with my mother on many occasions with laughter. And so it was always part of you know, my fabric. So every time I went somewhere in a good moment, a bad moment, whatever it might be, there could be a movie. There could be something I reenact to my mother and she would laugh at me and my grandfather as well. My dad, my sister, I would always make her laugh. So it was always important to me to have laughter as the best medicine. And it always would associate with comedy and also smiling. And it kind of combined itself. And then when you talk about me smiling, I've been accused of this on many occasions. There was a gentleman I served with in the Marine Corps and he was my company commander when I was a gunnery sergeant at the time. And his name, this is the best name ever in life. This is a name that is not made up. He could be a movie star, any you name it. His name was Morgan Savage. I mean, what a cool name is that, right? And I had known him for quite some time. And I remember in one of the worst conditions in Iraq, he walks up to me. It was a sandstorm. And he looks at me and he goes, you were always smiling. And I just started laughing at him. I thought that was hilarious because internally I was unhappy. There was a lot of things going around that were very unhappy for me. We were in some miserable situations, but I was always aware that there are young men that are serving under me right now that rely on me to have a positive attitude, to make sure that we have the right mission. Even though things are confusing at times, they respond off of me. I'm an influence of power. And it wasn't that I was being phony. It's actually who I am. But I think the nervousness inside of me was making me want to do good for them. And I was always in tune with that. And again, it's not fake, but you got to understand too, Scott, to put it in perspective. I had been in the Marine Corps when I went to Iraq in 2003, just at 12 years. And I was about 31, 32 years of age with 12 years in the Marine Corps when I went to combat for the first time. I had been in, I had been in places that were like considered dangerous environments. I had been in places overseas but I had not been in full-fledged combat until I had served 12 years. The men that were underneath me in the infantry at the time were like 18, 19, 20 years of age. So they are dealing with something completely different than I will be, even though we're in the same environment because of my age. I feel that way. Now, some ages react and respond differently, but that was an important factor. I remember really studying this at one time because some of those guys now that I stay in touch with, I'll be 52 in July. They're like 40 or 39 now. They're men with families and they have dealt with post-traumatic stress and situations a lot more problematic to their life than I have in mine. And we experienced the same things or we were exposed to the same things. I think it's because of the fact they were in an age where they went through it at 19. And after four years of doing it, three and four rotations, Then they go back to the civilian sector, as we call it. They get a normal job. They go to school and then they have a family and those things kind of creep up on them. You know, they bear it. Men are are great at compartmentalizing and then it erupts down the road. Um, Hence why there have been many mentors in my life that were older men, like my father, father's age, and they never shed a tear or showed any emotion when I was growing up. But now that they're in their 70s and early 80s, they cry every time they tell a story about something in their past. I think I've been in touch with my emotions where I have not done that. And I think that's been, you know, pretty powerful. I wrote this in my Appalachian Trail blog. I think his name was Earl Schaefer. 
he was the one of the first gentlemen to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. He was a World War II veteran in 48. And he said, I did this trail to hike the army out of me. And I knew what he meant because his mind was probably wrapped around all the horrific things that he had seen and witnessed in World War II. And this was a way to be alone and to just be therapeutic and introverted. And uh, that was powerful for me. That's that that's powerful for me because I think I, I can identify with that too, in a sense. And I talk about that a lot through the, through my, you know, self-care savage message and things like that. Healing and forgiving starts with yourself first. And that's what opens the door to forgive others. But you got, it, it's just not going to happen or authentically happen uh, until you forgive yourself first for a lot of things you did or didn't do. And then you can move forward again to forgiving others. You know, one of my childhood heroes was John Wayne. So I was able to talk to Ethan Wayne and he was on my podcast, uh, the first podcast of this year. Wow. And we had, I love Ethan Wayne. He's just an amazing, amazing guy. He's John Wayne's youngest son. You know, I ha- always knew how much John Wayne meant to me in this one movie, Big Jake, which I yeah. saw when I was a little boy when, man, my life was just a mess. And it was the, the message in there, the man, what he was about. A little boy like me needed this strong, hard-ass man that would just turn around though and give you a big bear hug. But, you know, he'd slap, slap sense into you if you needed it. I needed that back then. I needed that image. I needed that hope. But because I carried all my victimness with me for so long, even though that was a memory, I covered up all the good feelings about it. So when you start healing and forgiving, and then you go back or you start having memories about things, all that stuff you buried, all that yucky stuff yes. you buried starts getting peeled away. Oh, yeah. And you start realizing what it really was and what it was really about. And, and, and I remember it just being a, actually a good thing. It was a great thing for me as a kid to have something to latch on to. I appreciate You're it. connecting some dots here for me mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, Same this here. is life. Yeah, life and when you bounce it off someone and it allows you to either validate a thought you've had or fill in the blanks that maybe you couldn't fill in yourself. Everyone goes through something, right? Even though like you talk about, I'm always smiling. I see you positive all the time. We all come from something that brought us to that event. And, you know, you had mentioned this earlier, you know, I was an overweight, shy teenager. And when I was 13 and I made a transformation from 13 to 16, very, it was a drastic change, but 13 to 16 is when I really started to, you know, change into who I was, but I probably was 25 before I felt confident and I started to really become who I am. Now, people that know me, know my background, my story, they know why I'm who I am now, but acquaintances of mine or work colleagues that didn't know me except from a distance, I have always been accused of being full of myself, arrogant, and a hothead. And I'm okay with that because as I got older, I realized that they only see superficially when I show up, the way I carry myself, the way I speak with my voice, the way I maybe work out on the trail, all of these things that can be looked at from afar and go, look at this guy, he's full of himself. I get that. But when you're going through being overweight and shy, and then you get away from that and you break the chain, so to speak, you never want to go back to that person again. And because I don't want to go back to that person, I have to carry myself the way I am now because I've changed into that. But what they don't see, and I know you can relate to this, is how much you help others behind the scenes that that come to you, come to me. Can you train me? Can you help me? Can you take me on a hike? Can you talk to me on the phone? I cannot tell you, Scott, how many phone calls I have taken since I've retired from the Marine Corps. And I lived overseas for seven years after I got out of the Marine Corps in the Middle East. And I would be at work at eight o'clock in the morning and at midnight in the States, I would have a former, not a former, we don't say former Marine, but a Marine, no longer an active duty, would message me on Facebook or call me on my phone at midnight here. And it was eight o'clock in the morning there with the thoughts of suicide, losing their wife, the checks bounced, they're living paycheck to paycheck, they got laid off, they feel like they have no worth. And they called me and they called me because apparently in the past, I always brought optimism to them and fired them up or told them how valuable they were. And I would stop everything I had and give them my devotion. Now, there were times at work where I couldn't, but if it was something life or death, believe me, somebody would always cover me at work and I would go outside, take a phone call or a FaceTime and do that. And 
that is, and you'd relate to this, those are the most beneficial feelings that you can ever receive when you can help someone else knowing that they're at their lowest low and you can help bring them out of it because they reached out to you because there's something about who you are and the connection you've had from the past. But when you have critics out there, they don't see all of that because it's not like we broadcast this type of stuff on social media because it's, I always tell people I'm not a secret person, but I'm very private. Even though I share a lot of stuff on social media, I'm very private. I've gone through a lot of things. I've made bad choices in life. Not I've made mistakes, but I've made bad choices that I've had to live with. And there's a difference. I say this to everyone. There's a difference between a choice and a mistake. And I made bad choices knowing that if I did this, this is the result and consequences, but I made the choice anyway. A mistake is usually made with good intention, then it fails. So that's been a life lesson, you know, for me in so many occasions. And I've relearned that lesson on numerous, probably every decade I have something happen to me where I've had to relearn something I've already done in the past. But the lesson that I remember learning is so applicable now that I get through it faster. So you talked about being a um, example to these younger Marines and especially in the, you know, in the heat of things. And, you know, uh, you talked about the the Marine that, you know, came up to you and said, you're always smiling and the conditions you were in and how you felt inside and all that. You made the, a couple of points. You talked about your mom a lot, appreciate a little bit of the history around that and how she made you, you know, you, you know, she always encouraged you and was a, obviously a huge supporter of yours. And, you know, and, and when you did things, you, t- you also talked about and mentioned authentic, you know, being, you know, you felt like that that was authentic. And I think that's a big part of that, that your mom's encouragement around doing those things and, you know, um, being your true, she, you know, you were allowed to do those things to be yourself and you were authentic. That's why they followed you. If you weren't authentic or it wasn't real, even though you were scared, even though whatever was going on with you, you still per, per, promoting the person you were putting out to them. So you can move forward because you've taken on this responsibility as being their leader is because it was real. That's right. You know, Scott, I've, oh yeah, 100%. I used to commonly say this, that there were Marines, men and women that I either led, was in charge of, or they led me. And I was very consistent with saying, you might think I'm an asshole on numerous occasions and you don't like my methods. But you can never question my performance and consistency and what I bring to the table because I don't change with the weather and how I address people, how I speak to people, how I get things accomplished, the methods that I use that I find effective. And I was always prideful of that. So I could have 10 employees, let's just say, instead of just Marines, I could have 10 employees that were under my direct influence. And I would say, this might sound egotistical, but from my experience in that time frame over two plus decades, I would have eight that followed me, believed in me, drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And then I would have one that was on the fence and one that hated me every time. And I thought those odds were pretty good. And I stand by that. And I carried that on. See, a hard thing from transitioning from the military, a lot of veterans will tell you, is You want to be respected for who you are, not just the rank you wear on your collar. And it's not easy to do that because when you take the rank off your collar, you take the uniform off. Now you look like everyone else and you're trying to speak to someone with influence, guidance and what they need to do to perform. You don't get the same observation from that person. And I fell into that, even though I was in a military world overseas as a civilian contractor, my pedigree was no longer available on my collar or on my uniform. So I had to bring my experience with how I carried myself, my leadership by example, and try to influence in that way. Not everyone can do that very well. Not everyone has the opportunity to do that well. And it can be very demoralizing when you have people look down on you or not give you the time of day because you aren't wearing something visual. And I think that's where it goes in psychologically to people that go back to what I said I'm not a fan of, where they stand on a soapbox and go, let me tell you about my background so that I can reel you in and understand who I am before I talk to you about the performance of the job today. I've tried to kind of flip that script. Let me be charming and enthusiastic and articulate. And then if you find me interesting, 
and you're interested in who I am and what I've done or what I can bring to the table based on my interaction with you, then you can speak to me. Kind of like a cocktail hour. I used to be horrible at these when I would have to go to all these parties and I'm still not the best at it. You can put me in front of 500 people and say, you got two minutes to speak to them about whatever Appalachian trail, let's say I don't even need to practice. I'm very confident and comfortable to do that. But if you put me in a cocktail hour for half an hour with a cocktail and 30 second blurbs with people, I don't have a lot of engagement with it miserable for me, but I've gotten better at it because I try to do what I said. I don't go up there and try to sell myself. I find other ways to speak about it, but that's a great test for me. I can only relate it so much to me and what I, what I would promote to anybody else. It's, it is just, again, watch the person, you know, you know, if you open your eyes, you'll see you'll, what you see is what you'll, what you'll allow yourself to hear. And, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll tell you everything you need to know. This doesn't tell you anything. And unfortunately, you know, there, it's, that's so much buried in that way. Everything is, you know, let me show you what I have, you know, what, what can be done. And, and it's, and it, it can be very frustrating for, you know, to move past that, but you just have to keep doing what you do. And, you, you know, you're always going to guys like you always rise. You're always, you know, that you doesn't matter where, where, where they put you. I have no doubt that you're going to, you're going to rise. But I know with you watching you as coming out of the military and then watching, you know, you, your, you know, your blog, I've gone back and looked at a lot of that, seen a lot of your social media, some recent things you're, you're posting that are about things that you've done. You've been to a lot of places, a lot of countries. So talk a little bit about this world for you, which, you know, means I think a lot to you, but it does. where does it all fall for you and your mental health and what you're trying to convey? Yeah. Great question, Scott. I, I'll tell you, we both know it's therapeutic. It's, it's a game changer, especially if you take to it. We both have witnessed that there are certain people you bring into this world to try and influence them to see if it'll help them. And they don't take to it. It's not for everyone. Right. So I grew up in Louisiana and there's no hills and mountains in Southern Louisiana. And I didn't hike then, but I was an outdoorsman. So I, I hunt, I would hunt with my father. I would go exploring in the woods. I was constantly doing that. I like the physical aspect of it. I love being alone. I had this infatuation of like an explorer and going on an expedition and movies, you know, we watched TV shows we watched and then tying it into reality of physical aspects of it. So then I joined the Marine Corps and I joined the Marine Corps because I thought, and it's true that I would travel and I would be exposed to the outdoors. I was in the infantry and all that's true. But what ends up happening is you're in what they call force marches and you've got rifle on your, on your shoulder and big pack and helmet. And if somebody can't cut their weight, you know, you're taking their gear and you're putting it on your back to carry their gear and you're yelling at each other and, you know, you can't really stop and enjoy the views when you stop. You're providing security and somebody's coming up to you like a platoon sergeant telling you to stop talking, be quiet, face the weapon outboard. So there's a, a loss of joy for the outdoors that happened to me in the Marine Corps for probably the first 12 years, maybe longer. And when I was off, because I was always out in the field doing maneuvers, when I was off, like a weekend off or a three-day weekend, I wanted to be in the air conditioner or a heater inside and have nothing to do with the outdoors because I was doing it all the time in my professional life. And I have a mentor of mine in Louisiana that owned a gym. And I remember him telling me, he goes, look, I had a passion for bodybuilding. I got my own gym. Now I'm 24 seven bodybuilding. 10 years goes by and now I can't stand bodybuilding, but my business to put food on the table and pay my bills is through my gymnasium. And I mix business and pleasure. And it killed the pleasure for me. Even though we talk about if you can find something you love, it didn't work out that way for me. And I remember him saying this to me. So then somewhere around 15 years in the Marine Corps, I started kind of exploring because I, I got out of the infantry. I was sent somewhere else with a promotion. I'd go hiking on the weekends with the family um, little by little. But then I went through a divorce in 2011. And you know anyone that's going through a divorce or is going through one, no matter how it sounds from everybody's story being different, one thing that's very relevant and that we all share in common is it is destructive for the soul. It's destructive financially and all these aspects. 
So I find I found myself at that point losing all my investments and savings that I had. And I had time to myself when I didn't have the rotation of my children when they were young. So I decided to find the cheapest hobby that would make me happy. And the cheapest hobby was hiking. A good pair of shoes and a water source, do whatever you want. So I started going out into the desert. I would go up into the woods, the mountains. Um, this is like 2011, 12. And then I would drive to Utah for a four-day weekend, hit Vegas on the way back in the Red Rock Canyons. I'd sleep in my truck, sleep on the floor, on the ground right next to the Colorado River, make a fire, carry an ice chest with just a few sandwiches in it. And that was great. And I found my therapy. I knew my outlet because the physical challenges of it. But then I accepted a job and I retired in 2013 from the Marine Corps. And then I was offered a job in the United Arab Emirates as a contractor. And then I moved there and I lived there for seven years. And now I'm single. I'm single. I no longer have the uniform of the Marine on me. So now my identity is like, who am I? And I didn't look at that as a negative thing. I looked at it as like, great. Now I get to really showcase what I am, who I am, and what I want. And being in the military, I will always champion the military, especially the Marine Corps and how fundamental it was for me and anyone else that's done it. But you don't have really the ability to have a personal and professional life that are different from each other. Your personal life and professional life 24-7 U.S. Marine. Now I had a job overseas where I had a professional career that allowed me to have a private life. So I made good money and I'd work extra hours and then I would get an extra day off because I put in extra hours, take vacation, I'm alone. And now I'm flying to different places. In two and a half hours, you can be in Asia, Europe, or Africa from Dubai. And so I was doing that and going on constant trips and, and, and excursions and adventures the country of Oman is next door. I would drive into Oman five hours and go camping and hiking. And it is a wonderful, beautiful place that the tourism has not exploded there yet, but it's starting to build up. And there are so many wonderful mountains, terrain, waterfalls, fresh water in the canyons, and then the, the ocean next door. And then as that started to happen, I started finding ways to be more adventurous. Like now I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I want to hike Mount Kilimanjaro. So I did that. Then I want to go to Switzerland for my birthday and do like this 12-day hike in the Swiss Alps and finish in, and start in France and finish in Switzerland and hit Swiss villages, camp at hostels, same thing in Spain, all over Europe, Africa, Asia, and it was magnificent. And then I left that job at the end of 2020, so like January 2021 after COVID, um, they closed down quite a few departments of where I worked and my department was one they closed. So because I invested right, I decided to just be a nomad and I traveled and lived in all these different places and just therapeutic, hiking, camping, adventures. And that was three years, almost to the day, probably two years and like eight or nine months that I did that. And it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And, uh, and now <laughs> I accepted a job four months ago, back to work, clean shaven, live in a cul-de-sac, wear a suit to work. You know, now I'm going through that identity crisis again. I, I say that jokingly. I know who I am. On my time off, my weekends, I do exactly what I want, who I am. That's all still going to be part of me. And now you have somebody to do it with right now anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, a, that's a, a very strong thing because you and I have talked about this. We, I even have a, a post about it. I, I enjoy being alone and I thrived on being alone. But I did enjoy the company of a friend, a companion or a group. But I didn't need that to be excited, to be thrilled um, until I found someone that I loved and loved me back that enjoyed the same things. And she and I share all of these things together. We tell the stories. We fantasize about the next thing we can do together on the weekend, riding a bike. I mean, all these things that we want to do. And once you share that, I always say it's the power of we. It's, a, it's, it's, it's magical, right? And I know that word gets used a lot, very cliche, but magical to say, now that I had a sunset in the country of Jordan when I was by myself, I have nobody to tell that story with that was there with me. I can just tell the story to people. But whenever you sit on a mountaintop in a country like Jordan and you watch this beautiful sunset with someone that's special to you, that you love and loves you back, that story and how you can reminisce together is a whole different aspect of life. 
And I didn't have that. And, you know, they say opposites attract. And what I learned a long time ago is that's true. But after that, there's nothing else. <laughs> right. You got to have like-minded yeah. people and some commonality of interest. It's hard to get to a goal if there is a constant push and pull. You got to be, you got to be accepting. You got to be working together. You've got to, to be able to give, even if you don't want to. But you're doing it because there is there is so much of uh, that that common respect for each other and what the goal is. It may not be always be the, uh, exactly how each of you would get there, but when you work together, you're going to get there a lot quicker than than you would on your own. Yeah, do, what about do you see yourself in the future doing any long backpacking trips again, like anything like the PCT or? The CDT or sections, or I know you had you at one point where you know we're looking at doing the Arizona Trail last year. I think before some things, you know, you, you had to get back to maybe life. Do you what do you what do you see about going forward with this stuff? One hundred percent, it's in my blood. There's no doubt about it. Which one I want to do first or can do first, I'm not there yet. I've got so many different things on a board, like you just said, the Arizona Trail, the PCT. Um, Camino del Santiago in, in, uh, in Spain, even though that's somewhat of a pilgrimage uh, hostel yeah, right. it's different. or a religious yeah. pilgrimage, I still would love to do it because I really love Spain and it'd be something definitely unique. The CDT, I don't, I don't really know if I have aspirations to be a crippled crowner or a triple crowner. A crippled grounder. A crippled, a, a crippled grounder. Maybe that's about more more like what it'd be for me. No, a triple crowner. Um, and if anybody doesn't know that, it's the PCT, the AT, and the CDT. If you do all three, and there's quite a few people that have done it, but still a very small community that have accomplished all three. I don't know if I have aspirations for that. And I'll tell you why. And you're going to think differently differently about me when I say this. Now you're going to wish that you didn't say I was the guy to walk in a dark alley with you. Uh-oh. More than likely, I would do these things alone because it's hard to grab and find someone that can commit to that time with you. I don't want to go through grizzly bear country alone. Yeah. And I understood. Yeah. So you don't see me hanging around in grizzly country a lot. You don't see it when I'm out, out moving around up in Idaho or Wyoming or Montana. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, hey, well, you know, there's, you know, grizzlies are showing you pictures of grizzlies. I don't want to be around grizzlies either. That's a whole different game. If you want to encounter bears, black bears, the chances are nil uh, that anything's going to happen other than them them uh, snorting at you. But a grizzly bear is just is going to kill you just for the hell of it. I'll tell you if you go if you look at my blog, and I've told people this, you can see a lot of the places I go that have been amazing, beautiful countries. When I plan my trip, I would always research what type of wildlife was in the area, especially when I was alone. And there were a few places I said, nope, I can't go there. Bulgaria, for instance. I didn't go to Bulgaria. I planned this big trip in the, I think it's called the Prim Mountains or Prim Mountains. I can't remember right now. But there's a lot of wolf packs that are in uh, in that region. And I was going to go alone to do these treks through there. So I, I went to, uh, I think, Slovenia instead, which is a beautiful country. Triglav uh, Mountain area is just phenomenal, just gorgeous. And you can stay in the hostels. Like one thing about Europe I liked, their hostels compared to the hostels in the U.S., there's no comparison. I mean, they have a full staff of these hostels you can only get to on foot. They helicopter in once a week, like supplies, and their staff stay there for a week. You sign up when you arrive, and they have a bunk for you, and they cook dinner and breakfast. I mean, it's just whole family community, very clean. Some not as clean as others, but just a whole different you know, atmosphere of now I know when I was a kid, I used to always hear people saying they're going to graduate college and go backpacking through Europe. Now I know why they said that. Right. You know, yeah. it's such a it's such a surreal like escapism if you grow up in the states. But then when you meet Europeans, they want to come to the U.S. and do the Grand Canyon, and so it, it's all perspective of where you're living. And but uh, long answer to your question, yes, it's in my blood. I surely will do something in the future. There's no doubt about it. Like I said, it's. It's in my blood. Yeah, and you talk about all the uh, like people in Europe that want to come here. You know, we I, I think you know we we experienced, or at least I did, on the Appalachian Trail. They're there. I mean, there's a lot of people that come over here to do 
these trails that we talk about that are right in our backyard. Backyard. And um, it's kind of interesting that we we do we think of things in other countries or other places. I think there's just something romantic about that. But you know, we do have so much here. You know, that there, there is to do. Um, yes. But if you ever, if you, at any time you ever want to do something like that or the CDT, PCT, whenever that comes, if I haven't already done it, let's do it. Yes, so um, I don't really think there's a whole lot other else, JP. I think we've pretty much covered everything. I really wanted to, you know, again, part of my podcast here is just, again, trying to spread the message and, and trying to, with the podcast, bring on people that some stage in my life have had some influence, positive influence that I think that I think supports my message and I can, you know, help bring some light to that person as well. Um, I'm just so really so grateful that you you came on here. And I think this is going to be a great episode. A lot of people get a lot out of it and and your transparency and just everything you're doing is 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 amazing. And I just wish you nothing but, you know, the best with everything that you're doing. Thank you, Scott. And I, I really uh not only appreciate everything you just said sincerely, but thanks for thinking of me to invite me on here to talk. You know, because we talked before. I tried to do my little version of a, a podcast with you, and it was great. I enjoyed every bit of that. But uh, for you to, you know, ask me, it really means a lot to me. The things that you said, you know, about, you know, there's there's friends in your life, there's family, there's acquaintances, and most of us have many more acquaintances than we have actual close friends. And so I I appreciate that. And, you know, to see your success with not only social media, but your friendly reminder book, which I have. Um, just yes, really, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I bought one for my girlfriend as well, and she really appreciated that, too. And, and uh, nice. it's a great antidote. There's so many like for me, I don't need like a long discussion with people at this point, like to think of something to get myself on the right path. I'll have my moments where I'm steering off off course. But if I see one little gold nugget, you know, of a phrase, one little comment, one meme that's inspirational or positive or motivating, my brain sees it and I resonate with something I remember in the past or someone I knew that went through some adversity and it changes my outlook. JP, this has been awesome. Love it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for listening. And I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. And if you like the show... Please leave a rating, a review, a comment, tell a friend. If you have a question about today's episode, there's a link in the show notes where you can send us an email.